It is good to be here. I bring you greetings from the Northport congregation. I have known of many individuals over the years from the Dalreda congregation. Uh, going back to, I guess, the early 90s when I was here for a short time at Faulkner University. I began to hear about Dalreda and know about Dalreda. And over the years, there's been individuals uh, like Jeremy and Brooke that we've had common uh, relationships with that have been a part of your congregation. If Jeremy's gone now, I'll talk about him. Uh, uh, Jeremy actually said, don't don't say anything mean about me. Well, he he has already opened the door this morning. Sawyer, uh, this evening, Sawyer uh, was extremely um, energetic. And I'll just leave it at that. Uh, for the most part, he's one of those young ones that uh, they said I was paying for my raising. Uh, I don't exactly know why that was, but he... Uh, when we came to Northport, he was about four years old, and Jeremy and Brooke took him under their wing, spoiled him like nobody's business, but we can't say anything bad about Jeremy and Brooke because they were willing to take Sawyer for half a day at a time and, and didn't charge us any money or anything. And uh, so um, Jeremy has been a, a big part of uh, Sawyer's life as a youth minister for many years. Jeremy and Brooke, just are precious people. I know you guys are blessed to have them. And it is uh, a great opportunity to be with you tonight and uh, look forward to visiting with many of you uh, after our service this evening. It was Thanksgiving uh, two years ago. It was before the COVID uh, pandemic began. The family went to uh, Sevierville, Tennessee. And we stayed uh, at the hotel resort that has the water park in it, the wilderness at the Smokies. Uh, if you've ever been to Polishing the Pulpit, it's the one adjacent there to the Sevierville um, Convention Center. It's where PTP is normally held there. And so uh, when uh, we went there, the boys obviously were excited. They had the opportunity to uh, enjoy the water park, even though it's in the wintertime. And we did the normal things in about a week's time that you normally do, at least our family does, up in uh, the Smoky Mountain area, we went and ate at places like the Old Mill and the Apple Barn. That's two of our, our favorites. Um, we went uh, and enjoyed one evening at the Dixie Stampede. That was the first time we'd ever gone there, and that was a, a really neat thing. But uh, we went over to Gatlinburg for uh, one day, if memory serves me correct. And there was a place Natalie's dad had told her about that was a really good barbecue joint that, that say, he said, while y'all are up there, you need to go eat. And Sure enough, um, Danny McCreelis tells you you need to go eat somewhere. You need to go eat somewhere uh, because it's going to be good. He's got one of those experienced palates, and, and if he recommends something, you're going to want to go there. And so after we ate lunch, we were wondering what we were going to do, but being it was the toward the wintertime, we decided to go up to Obergatlinburg. Obergatlinburg. I've gone up there several times, but it's always been in the spring or the summer or the early fall. And it's not uh, in a time frame when they would have snow up there. And, and I thought, you know, they might have snow up there. And so we went up to Obergatlinburg, and sure enough, there was snow on the hillside there, and there was snow that the boys were able to play. And so um, I, I'm a man when it comes to driving, and, and ladies, you all know kind of probably what that means. Uh, when we go somewhere, most of the time, if we can, we want to go a different way back, Right. Well, there's, there was a way that we'd gone up to Obergatlinburg that I was very familiar with, but I knew that there were, was another way down the mountain. And so coming back down into Gatlinburg, I decided that we would take that road. And I will tell you that was a colossal mistake. When I drive a road, 
especially up in the mountains, and this is one of those mountain roads around the Sevierville area. Uh, I like to have a road that's nice and wide like this. I like to have, um, when there's going to be a big drop-off on the side of the road, I like to have a rail of some sort. I like to, to have some kind of guardrail, something poured. It just kind of gives me a sense of security. And so as we're going down this road uh, off of the mountain that goes, I believe, uh, by the Sky Bridge area, I'm thinking that we're going to go down this road and this is going to be kind of the, the road and, and the side. This is what it's going to look like. Well, I was sadly mistaken. Uh, the road looked like this, minus the snow. We were, I'm not sure how high above Gatlinburg, but I remember after we came out off of the plateau and started on the side of the mountain, I remember looking down and it just caught my breath. I'm not wild about heights in the first place, but I remember looking down thinking, you know, if I just steer to the right here, then, then we might end up in downtown Gatlinburg, uh, me and my family, and it's probably not going to be very pretty. And so uh, I believe Matt Cook was with you last week. I watched a good bit of his lesson. And when Matt talked about the yips that professional athletes have, that's what I had as a driver that day. For the very first time in my life, all of a sudden, I was like petrified behind the wheel and, and, and trying to be very careful. And by the way, you know how those roads are. When you go down, you have to brake, you have to go to the left, you have to go to the right, and how it's winding and things of that nature. And I was a nervous wreck. Uh, I believe I began to drive like Europeans drive on the left-hand side of the road. I remember Sawyer, and he was at that age of really questioning a lot of things. Dad, why are you driving on the left side of us? I'd rather have a head-on collision than go off the cliff on the right side. It was a harrowing experience, and you know, for the most part, I was really thankful when we got down to the bottom of, of the road, and, 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 and I had not run off the side of the road. It was, it was something that Frankly, I'll not do again. I'll just, if we go to Obergatlinburg again, we're going to go up one way and we're going to come back down that same way. <laughs> that, that's the way it's going to be from here on. Now, someone might say, Gary, what in the world does this have to do with your lesson tonight? Well, appreciate the theme that you guys are uh, studying through in your summer series, and that is Christian living in a virtual modern world. And I, and I want to kind of liken this experience. You know, the roads that I traveled with my family coming down here, they were nothing like that particular road up in Gatlinburg. There was nothing between the two that seemed to be very similar. The road coming down here, for the most part, very straight, very easy, a lot of long straights and curves that are gentle, not, not really very difficult to navigate. Traffic's not too terrible, things of that nature, not on the drive down. And, and, and as I look going back to, to that time in in Gatlinburg, I just would hate to have to drive that kind of road all the time. I, in fact, I just don't be, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how in the world I would do that. And that's the way it is. Uh, certain places in the world, certain places in the United States, even in Alabama, you might have some experiences like that, where we go from those easy roads, if you will, to those more difficult to navigate roads. I want you to think about where, we at, where we're at as a society of people. I was talking with somebody uh, yesterday, an individual was wanting to learn more about the congregation at Northport, and I talked with this gentleman for a couple of hours yesterday, and uh, toward the end of our conversation, we started talking about the society that we're living in and the, the struggles and the difficulties that we face, and one of the things we both agreed to is the fact that, that our children today grow up in a different world than we grew up in. 
You know, I grew up, I'm, I'm 50 years old, and I turned 50 back in June this year. Uh, when I grew up, I grew up most of my uh, younger life over in Linden, Alabama. Uh, I'm not going to tell you it was easy to be a good moral person, because that's stretching the truth a bit. But I will tell you that there was a lot of good peer pressure around me when I was growing up to be a good moral person. Most of the people in our area that we lived in, uh, not everyone would go to church, but for the most part, just about everybody believed in, for instance, the idea of honesty, the idea of kindness, the idea of compassion and caring for other individuals. And so you, you might say that I grew up in an environment where there were some exterior pressures placed upon me to grow up and be a responsible, good individual. Folks, those days are gone. If we depend upon society to shape our children and to raise our children today, you may could have gotten away with that 20, 30, 40 years ago. But you're going to lose your children today doing that. I believe in many ways, it's almost like the, the fact that we have this easier road and, and things of that nature. That was my life, whereas the life of my boys is more like that road we traveled in Gatlinburg. That's our virtual modern day that we're dealing with. That's the society that we live in. And we lament this fact and, and we talk about that. And in many ways, we can only do a small part in changing that where we live and in the circle of influences that we are around. But that's the, the world we find ourselves in today. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's never been easy to be a Christian. But I believe an argument can be made that it may be even more harder now than it was some time ago. So I believe this is a very relevant lesson. Uh, as I was given the topic of staying on the road, how do we stay faithful in a time like this? When, when the road has become more dangerous, if you will, when there's more peril in traveling this road and, and more difficulties that we can face, how can, as a Christian, we stay faithful to the Lord? How can we keep from, if you will, running off the road? Therefore, things that I would like to share with you tonight, uh, two of them are somewhat very introductory and basic to uh, the concept of leaving the road, and, and then two are a little bit more advanced in that regard. So let's get started talking about these things. The first thing that I believe we need to discuss when we're talking about staying on the road, remaining faithful as a child of God, is we need to ask the question, which road are we on? <laughs> You know, there are a lot of quote-unquote roads that people will tell us is the right road spiritually to be upon today. You, you can talk to many people in our society and ask, which road is the correct spiritual road to be on? And, and you'll have a, a lot of different answers that may be given. And so I don't want tonight to begin with the assumption that we know exactly which road it is that we're on. Just because I believe that I'm on the right road does not make it so. I could be mistaken. I can believe with all of my heart, and the Apostle Paul was, when he talks about his life as a Jew, when he was persecuting Christianity, doing that with, it, in his words, a clear conscience. Just because I believe I'm on the right road does not make it so. And so we need to make sure, before we even talk about running off of the road, we need to make sure that the right road is the one that we are traveling. Years ago, growing up in Linden, we used to get four stations, young people. Uh, on the television. We had one of those uh, 
uh, high antennas. You had to have one in that part of the world if you were going to watch TV. Uh, if I remember correctly, we got two stations out of Montgomery from here. One out of Selma, one out of Meridian. And every now and then when the weather was just right, we could get something from Tuscaloosa. That was it. And I can remember as a boy watching cartoons, and, and I can remember that Looney Tunes was a regular part, mostly on Saturday mornings on uh, one of the shows that I watched. And I watched a lot of The Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote. And you may remember some of these, but, but a lot of times there would be repeating, recurrent ideas that would be seen. Uh, they, they only could be creative to a point, and they had to kind of repeat and dress it up and change it just a little bit. Well, when, when, when you look at that episode of cartoons, that series, every now and then you would find that Wiley e. Cowley would go over to a mountain and what he would do is he would try to straighten out the road that might run around the mountain and he would run it straight into the mountain and he would paint the side of the mountain as if it looked like a tunnel was going through the mountain. And then either he would try to entice the roadrunner to run through the tunnel or he would chase the roadrunner and hope that he would pile up against the mountain. Never did work out for him. It's amazing how that goes. But his idea was, I want you to take the wrong road. Now, folks, that's what Satan wants for us. He wants us to run off the road, and he wants us to be individuals who are on the wrong path. And if possible, he would love for us to believe that we're on the right road in doing all of that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate's wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. The second one, verse number 14, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus says there are two roads that we can travel in life. There's not three, there's not four, there's not five. There are only two. We are either traveling the road that leads to eternal life or we're traveling the road that leads to eternal damnation. There's nothing in between. It's one of those two roads. And someone may ask, how do we know which one is the right road. How do we know that the path that we're traveling is the correct spiritual road? Well, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, earlier Paul had mentioned to them that he was extremely amazed that they had turned away from the true gospel to a false gospel. But further he would say, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you, now notice this, a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul said, the gospel you need to be following. The right road is the one that is delivered. And so when we understand that from our perspective today, the gospel that Paul and others preached is found in this book in the New Testament we find the information that the Apostle Paul proclaimed, taught, and would lead others to Christ with, we find this written in the Word of God. And that's the key to consult the Word of God to make sure that we're traveling the right path. In Acts chapter 20, verses number 32, Paul here is meeting with the Ephesian elders and uh, at the end of his discussion with them, nearly he says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul's leaving now. He's talking to Christians here. And he says, now what am I going to leave you with? He says, I commend you to God 
and to the word of His grace. How can I know that the road that I'm on, spiritually speaking, is the correct road? It's very simple. We've got to study and learn what this book says and make application of it in our life. That is the only way we can guarantee and know for a surety that the road we're traveling is correct in life. And so before we talk about really running off of the road, uh, exiting the road, detouring from the road, we need to make sure that the road that we're traveling is the correct road. And by the way, it's not that we study our Bibles and we figure out which road we need to be on and, and then we stop studying. Our learning and, and our growing should be a continual process all of our life. It's not studying with, with the goal of, okay, I want to know where, where I'm supposed to be. And, and once I realize that, then I stop. No, we need to continue to learn. We need to continue to study. We need to continue to grow and find out what God's will in our life is. That's the only way we're going to know that we're on the right road. And so before we go into talking about things that will help us stay on the road, we need to make sure that we are traveling the proper road. And if we're not, we need to find ourselves back to that way. We need to be guided back to that road. And so first, when we talk about how to stay on the road, we need to make sure that the road that we're traveling is actually the road that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ wants us to be on. Second thing that's going to help us remain on the road, spiritually speaking, is to understand that there are some danger points uh, on our spiritual path. That there are some special places, if you will, along the way that we might find danger. Now, we're very familiar with this, going back to the road illustration, aren't we? Whenever we're traveling any kind of road, a lot of times there's going to be a roadside like the one behind me. It's going to warn you that there is a dangerous curve. We, we have several of those. I live up in uh, north Tuscaloosa uh, County. Uh, our family moved there four years ago, and we live about 20 miles north of town. And so we have certain areas on that road that are more prone for wrecks to occur than other places. In fact, between our house where we come into Highway 43 and actually the school area up in Samantha, there is a very sharp turn. And I can tell you this, that in the course of every year, there's going to be a log truck that's going to miss that turn. They're going to enter that turn. It's, it's one of those switchback curves. They're going to enter that last turn, which is extremely sharp, sharper than the others before it, and they're going to be going too fast. And when they do, they're going to wipe out not only the load of logs that they have, but they're going to wipe out the telephone pole and the, and the electric pole that is right there on the side of the road. And that usually means for us that we're going to be out of electricity for a couple of days. That's a regular place. And they've got signs there. Signs that say this is a dangerous place. Now I want you to remember this, and, and please understand this. Anywhere on our road from here to heaven, we can veer off. There is literally not any place that we can't get off the road. I was going back to Northside. Uh, we had a work day for the football program this past Saturday morning, and I had gone to Sam's to pick up a case of water and had come back towards uh, the uh, football stadium and that, that area of the school up there. And on a long straight, I passed a wreck. The wreck had probably happened 10, 15 minutes before I had gotten there. There had been someone that had flipped a car. And this is exactly what I thought. How in the world do you flip a car right there? 
I, I have no idea. It's a straight road. It's wide on both sides. It's, a, it, it, it's not a, a place that necessarily has a lot of danger. And I ask the question, how in the world do you flip a car? Well, fact is, you can run off the road anywhere. That's, that's the truth of the matter. No matter how easy or how difficult the road is. But what I'm saying to you is that there are certain times in our life that we may be more prone to veering off the road than at other times. What are some of those times? What about when the time that we're fast approaching in our family? When you've got a teenager who graduates high school and leaves home and goes to college somewhere. What about that time? What about a time when a, when a young person meets a non-Christian and begins a very serious relationship that may end up in marriage? What about then? What about a time when an individual graduates high school and or college and, and they join themselves to a company, to a workforce that is known for unsavory practices? What about in life when we hit difficult patches? Times when we look to God and we ask God, why in the world are you allowing this to happen to me? There are some times and places on our road that there may be a little bit more danger. And we need to understand that. And we need to recognize that. And parents, those of us with children, we, we need to understand how to teach our children about those times. Because some of us learn that, unfortunately, not by being told, but we learn that by experience. And so we need to understand that there are certain danger points. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Jesus here speaking to the church at Smyrna. We're very familiar with the latter part of chapter 2. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. Have you ever stopped to think what was written before that part of the verse? Look at what Jesus told this congregation. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for ten days you will have tribulation. What he's saying there is you are fixing to have fire in your life. You are fixing to face a very difficult circumstance. And because this is coming, there's not a question of if, it's a question of when this is coming in their future. Jesus says, you be faithful unto death. And the literal Greek here means you be faithful even if it requires you to die. You be willing to be faithful there. And when you do, I'll give you a crown of life. Wasn't he telling them there's this time coming that there's going to be danger? That there's going to be a, a, a maybe more danger at this point in time than maybe there is right now. We need to understand in the second place when we talk about staying on the road that there are some places on our roads, if you will, that may be more dangerous than others. And we need to prepare ourselves for those times. And so those are the two more introductory ideas, more basic foundational ideas to our study tonight. Let's move into new territory, however. And let's talk about two things now that, that will help us. As we, we think about what will help us to remain faithful, to stay on the road. Number three, we've got to remain focused. We've got to remain focused. We'd moved up to Northside for a period of time before we moved up to Northside. I drove Sawyer up to middle school every day, which was about a 15-minute 
journey every morning to the school and then 15 minutes back home. One of the things I noticed was that a lot of ladies, when I would get behind them going into town, they were doing their makeup. Now ladies, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of us have ever done this in life, but I, I have a theory, and the theory is the further you live out of town, the earlier you have to leave for work or for your obligations in town, and probably the more tempted you are to do this on the way in. Because I don't remember seeing this before I, I began going up 20, 30 minutes out of town. And just because I've got a lady here, don't believe I'm a sexist person, guys. We're not immune to this at all. We can be right there with the best of them. We live in an age where distracted driving. Let me ask you a question. When you're driving down the road, what is your job? What's your main goal? It should be, I say should, it should be to drive. That's your number one goal. But what I've learned over the years is that's not everyone's goal. That's not everyone's main priority when they're behind the wheel. What happens when we are distracted when we are driving? What happens? We have the possibility of leaving the road. I want you to think about that spiritually speaking. What happens when we are distracted from what is most important in our life? What happens? The likelihood of us leaving the road is increased. I want you to remember a story over in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Uh, Jesus was walking on the Sea of Galilee. It was late into the night. And you remember that when the disciples realized that it is Jesus, the impulsive Peter wanted to get out of the boat. For years I wondered, why in the world did he want to get out of a perfectly good boat? You know, it's kind of like the same idea. Why in the world would anybody want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane, right? Why, Peter, would you get out of the boat? Well, I believe Peter probably had a better grasp than anybody else in the boat. He realized, I believe, that he was safer being outside of the boat with Jesus than he was inside the boat with the other 11 apostles. And so he asked Jesus if he could get out of the boat. Jesus granted him permission to do that. Do you remember that story? Well, for a period of time after he got out, he began to walk on the water to Jesus. Imagine that. Think about that for a moment. A fisherman who earned a living on the Sea of Galilee, who always had something between him and the water when he was doing his job in that regard. He was able to walk, to stand on this same body of water. How that must have felt. Can't even begin to imagine. But what happened? You remember the story. He didn't make it to Jesus. Verse number 30 tells us, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. What happened on the water? He lost his focus. He started noticing everything else around him. He allowed that to become part of his thought process to get in his heart, if you will. And when he did, his faith in his master, Jesus, vanished. Folks, there's an important lesson for us to learn there. And that is that, that you and I 
as we are walking towards Jesus, not on the Sea of Galilee, but towards our heavenly goal, as we are walking towards Jesus, we need to make sure that we have, if you will, that tunnel vision, that we have a goal in mind, and that we don't get distracted from that. I'm speaking to folks tonight that's busy. I don't know anyone when you start asking them how their day is, how their week is. I'm, I don't know anybody that, that would say, I'm, I'm got all the time in the world. <laughs> I'm not busy. I called two people on the way home from the office today to get ready to turn around and come to Montgomery tonight. Uh, both people, when I said, how's your day going? The, the gist of their conversation is, there's not enough hours in this day for me to get done everything I need to get done. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like your life? That's our life. Got three boys. One in high school, one in middle school, one in elementary school. And we've got them spread out. We play football tomorrow night with a senior. We start baseball on Saturday with a younger one. We go to a track meet on Saturday morning for our middle one. Life's busy. Life's busy. And what Satan would like to do is he would like to fill our lives with all of those things to the point that we forget about what we're here for and what we are doing. And I'm telling you, when we do that on the road, when we begin to notice everything else around us, when we allow ourselves to become distracted, we're going to eventually wreck and that's going to happen to us spiritually speaking. Satan doesn't have to make us do bad things. He doesn't have to lead us into sinful things. All He has to do is cram our life with things that in and of themselves are not wrong. But when enough of those are present, we lose our focus. That's all He has to do. I was listening as I came to work this morning to uh, broadcast from the radio station up in Birmingham. It's the sports talk radio there. Kirk Herbstreit was being uh, interviewed by the morning show there. Kirk Herbstreit, a very prominent figure in collegiate circles and college football. And this time of the year, everybody wants to talk to him to ask him a lot of questions. I understand he's written a book lately about his life and about some things, about raising family. And that was one of the topics they talked about this morning. Kirk, tell us about youth and, and, and how youth athletics have changed. And this is what he said. He said, you know, when, when I was growing up, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, it was about developing children, but now... Uh, we have a world where in many cases you have travel ball this and travel ball that. And it's not about developing the kids a lot. It's more about the, the wins and the losses. <laughs> and when parents talk about their children, it's not how they've progressed from one year to another. It's how many trophies they have in the case at home. And what he was saying was this. In a sense, in his eyes, right, wrong, or indifferent, he says youth athletics have lost their way. They've lost their focus. Now, folks, that happens to us. And it can happen very easy and in a relatively short period of time. If we're going to be faithful to the Lord, if we're going to stay on the right track, stay on the road, then we're going to have to make sure we remain focused. Jesus spoke about this, Matthew 13, verse 22, parable of the sower and the soils. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. Folks, we've got to stay focused. Keep the main thing the main thing. I exist, you exist as a member of the body of Christ to live in such a way that we glorify our Heavenly Father. That is our purpose. That's what we're here for. It's not about us, it's about Him. 
It's not about our kingdom, if you will. It's about His kingdom. Front and center, that's what our life has to revolve around. When we stop being focused, we're going to run off the road. And so, number three, we, we've got to, to stay focused on the important things. And then number four, we need to surround ourselves with godly companions. And I'm going to put a picture up here behind me um, that, that probably you have experienced if you've driven a lot in your life. Have you ever had a rainy, foggy day that the fog was so heavy, literally the only way you were able to really stay on the road was to follow the person in front of you? Has that ever happened to you? I can remember some of those times in my life, and this is generally what goes through my mind. I hope they know where they're going. <laughs> because if they run off in the ditch, guess what? I'm going to be right behind them. Okay, Isn't it comforting to know that there's people in front of you sometimes that know where they're going and know where the road's at when you're driving? Helps me. I'm sure many of you have found aid and assistance like that. I want you to think about that spiritually. If we're all traveling that road from where we are now to heaven above, isn't, isn't it helpful to be traveling with some people that, that, that are on the same road and maybe be following some individuals that know their way? To have some mentors in our life, some individuals we look up to and we very much respect that, that, that we can say, you know, we, we have assurance in following these individuals. We know they're on the right path and, and, and we have great assurance in knowing that, that, that we're headed in the right direction. Isn't it great to have people traveling with us, maybe side by side, and we're all headed to the same place, but, but we lean on one another. And you know, wisdom literature in the Old Testament talks about this. Book of Proverbs in chapter 27, verse 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Two are better than one, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, because they have a good reward for the toll. For if, one, or for if they fall, rather, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. The, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament highlights the idea of companionship, godly companionship, men and women surrounding us that, that have similar goals in life. That idea is highlighted in Old Testament wisdom. flip side of that coin is also highlighted. Proverbs 12, 26, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leaves them astray. Proverbs 22, 24, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways. And what? Entangle yourself in a snare. Time and time again, God's Word tells people, if you surround yourself with evil people, you're going to have some issues, spiritually speaking. But if you surround yourself with godly men and women, if those are your mentors and your closest companions, there's no guarantee that you're going to stay on the road. But folks, it makes it a lot easier. There's a proverb that's used in counseling. A guy by the name of Jim Ron. I understand he's a motivational speaker and a self-help guru. He's very prominent in the business world. He kind of was a rags-to-riches story. Came from nothing but accomplished many great things. He's, he, he's been aired many places throughout the states on radio. He's had many different seminars, speaking engagements and things of that nature. This is one thing that he says. He says, you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. I want you to think about that. I don't know if it's true. 
I don't know if this is something that he has kind of come up with after anecdotally looking at things over the years or if he has statistics to back that up. But I want you to think about that. In the business world, what he would tell people is, look, you're going to be the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. Now, spiritually speaking, wouldn't there be some crossover possibly there? You know, if that's the way we're influenced in the secular world, what about spiritually speaking? I want you to think about your five people. Are those five people who are helping you get to heaven or hurting your chances to get to heaven? Are those individuals that, that, are, that are going to be giving you good advice and going to be encouraging you to do the right things? Or are they going to be individuals that's going to be discouraging that? We need to understand the importance of godly companionship. I mentioned Galatians a few moments ago. Later on in, in the letter, we find that, that Paul writes, you are running well. You are doing a good job. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And notice what Paul says. It's not what hindered you, but who? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul knew full well this came from other individuals. The reason they had turned away from the true gospel was because they had begun to listen to other people. We need to understand the importance of Godly companionship. I want to say this before I leave this point. When we talk about those individuals that are going to be our mentors, our closest companions, there needs to be a common theme, and that is that they are imitators of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that they are patterning their life after Jesus Christ as well. That's what qualifies them to be a mentor for us, to be a companion for us, that they are seeking to be more like Jesus in their life. And so... A fourth idea to staying on the right road is to recognize and cultivate the idea of godly companions in our life. Tonight, as we come to the close of our lesson, I want us just simply to say these things. Remember the things that we've talked about tonight, the ideas that we have mentioned to staying on the road, but also understand that there's a lot more things that I could have said tonight. We could have talked about the importance of prayer, and that's very much important. We've talked about the importance of being part of a church family. We've touched upon a lot of those kind of things. There's a lot of ideas tonight that we could have mentioned that I didn't have time to mention. But I believe these are things related to the image that was given to us. Staying on the road. Ideas that relate to that idea, that image that we've been speaking from tonight. It's my goal. It's my hope. As a Christian, as a child of God, that you'll stay on the road. That you will be faithful unto death, as Jesus told the group of Christians at Smyrna. And when your life is over here on this earth, you will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joys of your Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Father, for your wisdom and your foresight in sending Jesus to this earth to die for us. Father, we continually are amazed of the price that was paid for us. The fact that Jesus died so that we could live. And that, Father, it is through His precious blood that we have hope of eternity one day with You. And we pray, Father, as we travel this road before us, we pray, Father, that we will stay faithful to You. We pray, Father, that we will stay on the road, that we will not run or detour or veer off of the road. We pray, Father, that we will be faithful to You all the days of our life. Bless us to that end. Help us as we strive to travel that road ourselves, as we try to help others along that road. And bless us in those efforts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.
Amen.